clear sense, uh, particularly in Mark's gospel comes right before the, what we call the passion narratives, before Jesus is handed over, that, that this is a, a symbolic act to prepare for his burial. In John, we're told who does this. We're told it's Mary, as in Mary, Martha and Lazarus, the Mary who'd sat at Jesus' feet. In John, the story is told and, and Mary actually anoints Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. But there is again a sense of preparation for burial. And in those three stories, Matthew, Mark and John, there is also this very powerful argument about a waste of money. Why has all this money been spent? There is a sense in those stories that this is coming from the inside, that these are people who already know Jesus, who are already his followers. And so this argument about the money is almost an internal matter. Why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? Luke's story is different because the woman who anoints Jesus in this story doesn't appear to be an insider. She appears to be an outsider. We are told three times that she is a sinner. Luke tells us, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came. Simon, the Pharisee, uh, tells us, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus tells us, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Here is a woman who appears to be known as a sinner. The implication of the story is that here is a woman who is in prostitution. Here is a woman who is known for her sinfulness. It is very public and open. Everybody can see it. And there is an awkwardness about this story which may be lacking from those ones in Matthew, Mark and John. And if you allow yourself to be drawn into this story, you will feel the awkwardness. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. As I'm sure you know, when there was a, 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 an entertaining uh, occasion, when there was a, a formal dinner in a Jewish home in, in this time, uh, the food would have been uh, placed in the middle of the room and people reclined. They sort of leant down to eat. So this woman is not sort of kind of scrabbling under a cafe table or something. She is at the back of Jesus while his head is at the front near the food and around the other guests. 
There's clearly something quite communal about this house. There's no problem other people coming and going. This woman stands there. There's something deeply physical about this. Intimate. Even sensuous. The sound of her weeping. The sight of her standing there. The smell of the perfume. Seeing her do what she is doing. Weeping, wiping, kissing, anointing. This is awkward and everybody knows it, including the host. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And Jesus lets her do it. You know, he doesn't shut her down. He doesn't sanitize the situation. It is really awkward, but it is also deeply profound. He doesn't patronize her. He doesn't say, there, 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 you don't really know any better. He doesn't make an example of her. He doesn't look around at the other guests and say, look, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't listen to me, if you don't do what I tell you, then this is what might happen to you. He doesn't make an example of her. He allows herself to make herself, she, he allows her to make herself incredibly vulnerable. In short, I guess he doesn't do all the things that perhaps most of us would do. In this awkwardness, in this very physical, intimate, sensuous behavior, Jesus seems to see an incredible extravagance which is a sign of her inner repentance. What she is doing to his feet is somehow expressing what she wants for her life. She knows that she needs him. Perhaps she has already met him, we don't know but she knows that what he brings, she needs. She sees in him everything she wants and she worships him publicly, openly and unashamedly. And who knows, we can't tell, we can't tell, but maybe the perfume, okay? And it's perfume, it's not oil, okay? It's perfume. Maybe this is somehow wrapped up in her work. A product of it, but maybe also a tool of her trade. And she brings it and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. What more powerful sign 
of her repentance could there be? You remember Zacchaeus that Paul helped us to understand last week. When Zacchaeus repents, what does he say? Half of my wealth I give to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody, I give them back twice, three times, four times the amount. This is what it means to repent. Jesus accepts her actions and sees in them this deep repentance, a deep desire to start again, a deep desire to lay aside all that has soiled and damaged her and to step into his light. And as she does that, he allows her example to lay bare all the small-mindedness and mean-spiritedness of the professionally religious man. The person like me, who is sitting there saying, who is this? What is she doing? And why can't he tell who she is? Jesus accepts her actions and uses them as an example. And he asks this devastating question. Do you know, I was reading this this week and, I, and I, I couldn't get over this question. He says, do you see this woman? I don't read a lot of Greek, okay? But every now and again, I try and pick up the New Testament in Greek. It's four words in Greek. Okay? I don't know what they mean, but it's only four words, okay? It's a really simple question. Do you see this woman? But it undoes him because he can't see her, can he? He can only see a sinner. He can only see the one that everybody knows is a badan. He can only see the woman who appears to be a prostitute. And Jesus does something else wonderful. He turns towards her. He turns to the woman. And he says to her, look. He says to Simon, while looking at her, Look, she has not only fulfilled the simple courtesies of the host, which you have conspicuously failed to do. She has done all these things from a forgiven and loving heart. And in so doing, she has not only focused on me, not only expressed her repentance, not only brought good things out of a heart that is forgiven and loving, she has also exposed you for what you are, a mean-spirited and unforgiving person who has only tasted the tiniest of God's goodness. 
She is an example of the person who repents and who is extravagant in her love for the one who has set her free. And just as she is told, we are told that she is a sinner three times, we are also told in verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven. Then he turns and addresses her directly. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There is no doubt. And Jesus wants her to know and Jesus wants everybody else to know. You remember the story of the woman who touches the, the edge of his garment and she is healed for the first time in 12 years. She has stopped bleeding. And what does Jesus do? He brings her out so that everyone can see, which must have been terrifying, but it was also really important because everybody else could see that she has been healed and saved and she can come back. This woman is healed and saved and she can come back. And if she doesn't come back now, it is not her fault. It is yours. So this amazing story, this deeply powerful story, points to the central, glorious, outrageous, scandalous truth which is at the heart of our faith. That we can be forgiven. Whether it is this woman, whether it is Zacchaeus, whether it is the thief on the cross, we can be forgiven. And when we are forgiven, we are given the opportunity to worship deeply, extravagantly, wonderfully at the feet of the one who has set us free. Just imagine that next week I bring my laptop, which everyone keeps telling me is very old, okay? I bring, and it's, and it's very big as well. My lovely Joanna bought me a laptop stand for Christmas, which I asked for, and she, brilliant, bought it me. And do you know what? My laptop's too big for it, can't fit on it. Imagine next week I brought my laptop and I held it here in front of church. And in the other hand, I've got one of Ernst's hammers. And I said, this laptop has been a source of evil in my life. It has brought things to me that she should never have done. And I am going to smash it here and now in front of you. Because Jesus has set me free. What would you think? Now I don't watch that kind of stuff on my laptop, okay? You need to be reassured. Your vicar doesn't. Your vicar doesn't. But even if I had a smaller one, it wouldn't make any difference. What would you think 
Would you think, oh my word, what's he been doing? Or would you think, hallelujah, Jesus has set him free? For those who are trapped in sinful behaviors, for those who find it almost impossible to break free from them, this story is your story because it gives you the opportunity to see that you can be forgiven and set free and given the honor and the privilege of worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And if there are people, members of our church, people that we know who have been trapped but are now set free by Jesus, this story is also our story because it challenges us. You see, human beings struggle to understand, and especially human beings who are used to formalized faith, that when we are forgiven, we are forgiven. And what most of us do is that we log the offense away, ready to be retrieved at the appropriate time and placed in front of that person. And what does St. Paul tell us? Love keeps no record of wrongs. This woman is forgiven. Forgiven by Jesus. And she pours out her love at his feet. As she does so, she is given a new beginning, a new start, a new opportunity. And the people around her are given a challenge. Can they forgive her too? Can they set her free? Can they enable her to step into a better future? Now please, for the sake of any confusion, let's be clear. If there are sins and actions which we have done, which have hurt other people, which may come under that heading which we rightfully take very seriously of safeguarding, then of course things need to be dealt with. There are processes which have to take their course. There may be actions which flow from them. Of course, forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences. Zacchaeus is actually a really good example of this. His forgiveness was a costly affair. It cost him half his wealth and four times anyone he cheated. Sometimes forgiveness is costly. And if there has been behavior which has hurt people and it needs to change, there may be costs and consequences to that. Those things are really important. But it doesn't alter the underlying glorious truth that in Jesus we are forgiven and we are set free. And because he does that for each one of us, he challenges us to do it for one another. 
that we set one another free to live as he wants us to live. So I don't know how many times you've heard this story. It is a beautiful and powerful and deeply awkward story. But it's a story for each one of us. Amen.